Dr. Aditi Narukar. I'm so excited to have you here. I am so excited. I am truly a fan of your work and it's such an honor. That's ridiculous for you to say to me because you are a true expert in a field, whereas I just spout off nonsense all day. So thank you for saying that. My husband and I have been following your, you on Instagram for many months now. You just came out with a new book called, I had a copy of it in front of me and I don't have it now, called The Five Resets, Rewire Your Brain and Body for Less Stress and More Resilience. I like the sounds of that. <laughs> I'm so glad. That is a thing that we all need a little bit more in our lives. Can you tell us, I normally do an intro before my guests come on, but I kind of thought, I kind of want Aditi to just like, because I can't tell this story of how you became a stress expert. Like what, you are a stress expert. What does that mean? How did you become a stress expert? Why did you want to write this book? Give it to us. I think my origin story, my villain origin story, is that I was a stress patient looking for answers long before I became a doctor on stress. I was a medical resident in my second year of medical training, working 80 hours a week and sleeping every third night in the hospital. I had erratic sleep, erratic food. I was not taking care of myself at all. As you can imagine, you're young. Sure can. You're young. You think you're invincible. And in my medical training, I was taught at a very early stage of my medical training. I remember it like it was yesterday. I was in an auditorium filled with my peers and a professor gets up and says, what you're going to go through, so few people get to do this. Pressure makes diamonds. Remember that at every turn. So I was going through my medical training. I mean, it's major. What a thing to say, right? So I went through my medical training with that mantra, pressure makes diamonds. So whenever the times got tough, as they inevitably did so often, I was like, hey, I'm a diamond in the making. I'm a diamond, baby. Bring it on. Whoa. Bring it on. Like, yes. like long before Rihanna, right? Like 25 years ago. And then my diamond cracked. Yeah. And it cracked because I was in the cardiac ICU taking care of everyone else's hearts, not paying attention to my own. It was one... 30-hour shift, and I was rounding on my patients, and I felt a stampede of wild horses across my chest. Oh, know it well. Yeah. Terrifying. Knocked the wind out of me, quite literally. I kind of sat down. The nurse I was working with was familiar with me, and we had worked together many times. She was mm -hmm. like, oh, are you okay? Got me some orange juice. I drank a little OJ. And immediately after the sensation passed, it was like a few seconds. And then I got up, and I kept rounding on my patients. And I went home, and it never happened again in the hospital, but it continued yeah. to happen every single night for, I would say, about three weeks until finally I said, hey, maybe I should see a doctor about this. <laughs> yeah. Maybe something's not okay. Yeah. Maybe I should go see a professional instead of diagnosing myself. So I did. I saw my doctor and she did the million-dollar workup. She did heart ultrasound, all these tests of anemia markers, blood tests, heart tests, everything checked out fine. So she smiles at me and is like, congratulations, everything's great. Big reassuring smile. Just try to relax. I know it's stressful. Uh, you know, medical training, we've all been there. So I went home and I was like, okay, just try to relax. What does that mean? I did all of the things. I went out I was a single, young single woman at the time. I went to a spa day. I went to the movies. I had dinner with friends. I hung out, you know, retail therapy, family, friends, like all of those, what we think of as 
relaxing activities kept happening. Night after a frustrating night, kept getting the palpitations. And then I put my scientist hat on, started reading everything under the sun about stress and your brain and your body and what happens. And then I found my way out of stress. And then I decided when I got myself out after doing a whole bunch of things that I wanted to be the doctor I needed during that difficult time. So I wouldn't say in a very well-intentioned way, hey, just try to relax. I could actually offer my patients who are stressed very concrete tools. So that's my origin story. Were you in, were you doing your residency in cardiac? Is that what you said? I was doing a residency in internal medicine and for one month, in my second uh-huh. year, I had to rotate. It's the hardest rotation. And I was in the cardiac ICU. Yeah. Okay. So you were doing internal medicine. And after basically going through it and being a stress patient yourself, you decided I'm going to be the stress doctor. I'm going to solve this for people. And then I went yeah. to Boston, You know, got into a fellowship at Harvard and studied the mind-body connection and how it relates to stress and burnout and the brain and the body. And then kind of the rest is history. Then I kind of found my way. When I found my way out of my own stress struggle and like out of that dark tunnel, I then was able to learn about what happened to me. Instead of my first reaction when that happened to me, my very first reaction when when the doctor said, it's probably just stressed, I was like, stress? Mm -hmm. Stress doesn't happen to people like me. Yeah, I'm a diamond. diamond. I'm a diamond in the making. What do you, what I'm resilient. And so I was living the resilience myth at the time. Now I very much know that resilient people can get burned out. There's, there's this notion of true resilience and toxic resilience. And most of Mm. us, because of a manifestation of hustle culture, are living this myth. And it's actually toxic resilience that we are trying to embody unsuccessfully because you can't ever embody toxic resilience. You're a human being with limitations. You're not the energizer bunny. Wow. Okay. Tell me more about that. You just said the myth of resilience and then you, the toxic resilience. Will you just tell me more about those two things? Those are kind of keywords that come up a lot in the book. What does that mean? What is the myth of resilience? So the resilience myth that many of us say to ourselves, I said it to myself, you have definitely said it to yourself in this journey of building this incredible brand that you have built for yourself. And your listeners have said it to themselves too. It's this idea of like, I'm resilient. I'm not burnt out. How could I be burnt out? How could I be stressed? I'm resilient. So you keep hearing these messages over and over and again. And the data shows that resilience is protective, yes, but it's not enough to prevent stress and burnout. And right now, in a room of 30 people, 21 people are facing some form of stress and burnout. So if you are feeling like this, 21 out of 30, that is the norm. It's not the exception. It's the rule. So if you're feeling like this, you're not alone and it's not your fault. And a lot of this stems from the messaging that we are getting through society, particularly over the last four to five years, I would say the past four years after 2020, that was like the big shift. Mm -hmm. Prior to that time in 2018 or 19, you heard the word resilience and it was a positive connotation. You were like, oh, this is such a nice word. It meant what it's supposed to mean. The scientific definition of resilience is your ability, your innate biological ability to adapt, Mm -hmm. recover, and grow in the face of life's challenges. This is a beautiful thing. But ever since 2020 happened, in 2021, 2022, and now, that word has taken on this dark and sinister meaning. It is not true scientifically 
true resilience. It's toxic resilience. And the difference is that toxic resilience, you hear that word and you bristle. I'm sure you bristle. I certainly do. I grappled with having that as a subtitle on the cover because it's like, you know, do you really want to... But then I wanted to talk about this idea of resilience. But mm-hmm. you hear that word and you have a visceral response and it's not a positive one. I certainly do. I hear that word. I'm like, oh, stop telling me to be resilient because it is toxic resilience. So over the past few years, toxic resilience doesn't honor human limitations. It's productivity at all costs. And it's mind. It's a mind over matter mindset. It's like this energizer bunny. And so that is not true resilience. True resilience celebrates your ability to say no uses the lens of self-compassion and grace and understands that as a human, you have some real needs. You need rest, recovery. Toxic resilience is just a manifestation of all of the things that we know deplete us. And so when you hear the word resilience now, it is toxic resilience. You've heard that for years. Like, over the past few years, you can take on this extra project. You're resilient. Yep. Oh, come on. Parenting yep. is not that hard. You're resilient. Go ahead and, you know, meet this deadline. We're going to push it up a week. You're resilient. You can do it. And yeah, then when you can't make those asks happen and you can't meet those metrics, you unfortunately, it's human nature. You start, you know, beating yourself up. Your stress and burnout go up. Yeah. But these are impossible standards. And so really a lot of my work is debunking these notions of resilience. And what does it even mean? Because it's not, because it's not real. It's toxic. It's a man-made construct, toxic resilience. True resilience is a real thing. Yeah. You just said that 21 out of 30 people are experiencing symptoms of stress or burnout. First of all, can you tell me more about burnout also? So now I understand the true definition of resilience versus toxic resilience. What exactly, when I hear the word burnout until I started reading your book, I would say, oh, I'm so burnt out on parenting this week. I just need a break. Oh, I'm so burnt out on, you know, whatever. I'm burnt out on certain aspects of life. I'm burnt out. I'm exhausted. But I've never used it as I've never seen it used as like a clinical like you are nearing burnout because of this. Can you tell me more about burnout and what it means and like what we should like kind of look out for? So you can get burnout. It is an official clinical syndrome, and it, in 2019 is when the WHO finally recognized it as that, which is a big okay. Deal. So it is new, it's relatively okay. new, and it finally. Yeah. When the WHO recognized it as something real, they called it an occupational phenomenon at the time. And it Mm -hmm. felt very real to people because they were experiencing a lot of these things and then finally could put a name, you know? So when you can name it, you can tame it. Burnout happens. Burnout happens when, so under normal circumstances, we function in this mode, resilient mode, right? And that's true resilience. We're governed by an area right behind the forehead called the prefrontal cortex. I won't get too scientific, uh-huh. but it's that area that you're that is like memory, planning, organization. Uh-huh. In layman's terms, it's adulting. Like we're pretty good at adult- adulting. Under periods, we try and we're pretty good when we don't have a lot of stress. And what happens is your brain and your body is expertly designed to handle short bursts of stress. However, when you are in stress mode, even whether it's short or long, you are governed by another part of the brain. It's not the prefrontal cortex over here behind the forehead. It's this part of the brain deep in your brain called the amygdala. And Uh it's a small almond-shaped structure. And its sole 
Purpose is survival and self-preservation. It is all about the immediate and the now. That is what the fight or flight response is. It's when you feel stressed. You've heard that term before. Now, your amygdala can function really well, very well, expertly well for a short period of time in that fight or flight mode. That's It's like cave person mode. That's the kind of, you know, mm-hmm. like survival, self-preservation. But yeah. when it goes on and on and on without any respite is when you can develop burnout. And right now in 2024, we have had an onslaught of stressors. It, they don't go away. Back in evolutionary times when we were all cave people, there was a tiger and you could fight the tiger and then you had a period of rest and recovery. It went away. We killed it. And then yeah. I, my amygdala got yeah, to take or a you ran, Or okay. you ran away, you know, fight ran or away. flight. Like yeah. it's an acute thing and then you go away and then you just, then you can chill out. But now all of these metaphorical tigers are like bills, relationship problems, financial difficulties, health issues, taking care of sick parents or being the sandwich generation. I mean, it just never ends. So then when that never ends, that amygdala is firing in the background. It's like at a low hum. And that without that rest and recovery, which is a biological need, you get burnout. The interesting thing, I think the, the main thing about burnout especially now, is that modern-day burnout looks really different than in the past. So in one study, so when you think of someone who's burnt out, right, classical features of burnout, apathy, bored, disengaged, not productive. It sounds a lot like depression. Yeah, like you're just kind of blah and you're not engaged. Unfortunately, now in modern-day burnout, there are more atypical features. What that means is, sorry to be using these scientific terms, but different, like not classic features, but different features. Like Mm -hmm. in one study, 60% of people with burnout, their main feature was an inability to disconnect from work. So people who have burnout right now are like, you know, this modern day burnout are probably not even aware that they themselves have burnout because they're thinking of the classical features. So it's kind of, in that sense, the burnout is both the symptom and the reason. It's like, I'm burnout because I can't disconnect from work, and it's my symptom of burnout is that I can't disconnect from work. Totally. And then it's like this loop, right? And then your amygdala keeps firing, and then you're more hypervigilant, and then you can't disconnect. And so you have to break that cycle. And you can rewire your brain and your body, but you have to do something besides having someone tell you, Oh, come on. Just relax. Unplug. You're fine. All right. Well, let's get right into it then because one thing that I have learned from you and I have already put into place, I'm on like night seven of, I can't even believe I'm saying this because I feel like, I do feel like this is a basic thing that I don't think everyone's doing it. Okay. I keep, I'm pointing at it. I have this like shelf thing in my office. It's outside of my bedroom. And I moved my charging station for my phone, my Apple watch and my headphones to it and my phone. So I am now sleeping at least, I don't know, 20 feet away from my phone and waking up in the morning. I got that entirely from you. I'm saying, I said that I, I do think it's like the most basic of, uh, symptoms to deal with your stress that everyone knows that. Like everyone knows that at this point, like sleep with your phone, not in beside you, but you don't actually do it. I mean, I've known that for years. I've had friends who have done it and they're like, oh, you still sleep with your phone beside you? Like, Caro, that's insane. Like you got to get out of your bedroom. 
but I've been like, I've got to work up until bedtime. Like those are precious hours. I'm an entrepreneur. I have to work all the time. And I literally now, because it's I'm only on day seven, I'm finding myself like in bed, my fingers are like twitching because I'm like, oh, you have that interview with Dr. Aditi tomorrow. Like, you know, don't you want to search what her blah, 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 blah. And my brain is like, you must do it. And I am not doing it. I'm keeping it away. So that said, that was one of your, that's one of the tips that I got from you. Tell me how to rewire. I think that I would love to ask you two things. So I'm a mom. A lot of my listeners are moms. And even if they're not, they are just people with a lot of, we all have a lot of stress in our lives right now, as you said. I'd love to get two things from you on how to rewire on these like five resets that you talk about. Number one, I would love to hear your advice for, so again, I'm a mom. I'm a mom. There are two moments when, yeah, there are moments when I've had a really busy day at work. You are really good at distinguishing what healthy stress is from unhealthy stress. Healthy stress is I've got this podcast interview with Dr. Aditi. I've got um, a tea at Mattis's school this morning. Those are like healthy stress. That's just life, right? Healthy stress is life. I mean, you're nodding, but that's yeah. Right? Healthy stress. Yeah. We all need a little bit of healthy stress. The goal of it's life, progress. Yeah, it moves your life forward. Rooting for your favorite sports team, deciding to make a recipe. You know, your recipes are yes. very easy. And you have all these yes. add-ons. And so like there's no stress. That's the whole point of your – In theory. Right? Yes. So you can like go – so if, I, if I'm if i making one of your recipes, mm-hmm. I feel like, okay, I'm going to do this and there's lots of substitutions that I can use and mm-hmm. she's going to walk me through it and, and I can do this. And so it doesn't feel overwhelming and it's not giving me, you know, palpitations and I feel healthy stress because I'm going to get a meal on the table for my family and it's going to feel good. Great unhealthy stress is what is it what's an example of unhealthy stress when you and i and everyone else say oh my god i was so stressed out that we're talking about unhealthy stress unhealthy stress causes lots of physical and mental manifestations and there's so many there's like you know stress unhealthy stress also known as maladaptive stress unhealthy stress has a million flavors healthy stress yeah. The goal of life is not to live a life without any stress. You need a little Mm -hmm. bit of healthy stress. Like you went to a tea party at school. Today, Mm -hmm. we're doing this podcast. After this, I'm going to do a basketball run for, you know, like take, be like on mom duty for basketball. And that's all healthy, positive stress. Mm -hmm. It moves your life forward. It's Mm -hmm. all good. Unhealthy stress is when you develop anxiety or anxious thoughts or, you know, the mental manifestations. There's so many, but anxiety, depression, insomnia, hypervigilance, irritability, quick to anger, and then physical, oh, you yeah. know, and the list goes on and on, physical manifestations like headaches, neck pain, shoulder pain, abdominal pain, back pain, fatigue. I mean, endless. So healthy stress is like the little daily things that go, oh, I've got to get this done, unhealthy. And it can probably be the same thing. Like this tea this morning could have really stressed me out because I had to rush back here to jump on with you, but I didn't let it because I'm in a good place with my stress right now. Okay. So here's what I would love to ask you now that we know the difference in unhealthy and healthy stress. Here's what I'd love to ask you. There are moments. I have a really stressful day at work, whatever stress means. I have a really stressful day at work. My kids get home from school. I have two, three boys, five, three, and one. They won't stop fighting. They're, you know, they don't, they hate the show that I put on. They hate the dinner I made. I am 
churning. I am bubbling. My everything feel I'm getting really my amygdala is hyperactive. I am fight or flight. I'm about to like drop kick these kids. What what is something that I can do in that moment where you're starting to get the stampede of horses on your chest, but you are in the moment. Like I I love your resets, uh, the the big ones that are kind of everyday things and we'll talk about that next. Because those are like ways to really stop feeling the unhealthy stress, like re rewire your brain to stop feeling it that way. But in that moment, because we're all going to get it, even if we do our five resets, like we're still going to have those moments. What do I do right then when I'm about to, when I'm like, how is this my life? What have I done? Ooh, that like just <laughs> sings to my soul because I am a mom and I'm a working mom and you can be, you know, you can know all of the science and yet in those moments, man, whew, Whew. It's it's it takes work. So I know I know you know the feeling I'm talking about when like your kids are driving you nuts and you're like I can't even how do I even continue to to live in this scenario? You're on the verge right of mom like, rage. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Oh. So yes. what I have been able to do? How do you walk back from the ledge of mom rage? Right. So you don't get there and mm-hmm. then yell or get angry or you know have like a yep. and then your kids get upset and it's like the whole thing that oh. happens the cascade of emotions. It's all about your breath. So there are a couple of key strategies. I use this every single day. I used it this morning because, you know, it took an hour to get dressed. Because you're you're a mom. Yeah. I'm like, come on. We just got to get to school. It's about learning. It's not about, it's not a fashion show, you know. And then you're like, Uh, is it the 1980s? And I hear my own mother's voice. Like, what is going on? Right. The amount of times that has happened to me lately where I'm like, mom? You're like, whoa, <laughs> you. not a fashion show. Yeah, not a fashion show. <laughs> <decor. laughs> yes, yes. Or when I tell them to be like grateful for what I cooked them for dinner and they're like, we're three, mom. Yeah. We're not grateful. Do you know there's children yeah. in India who don't have shoes? I'm like, wow, yes. that's really, it's yes. like really in the vault there for me. <laughs> Just They're like, they're like, what's India? We're, I'm one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's the best. And it's like, you know, there are anyway. children who don't eat in India and you should be yeah. grateful that you have They're like horrified. Nuggets, you know, that anyway, it's the whole thing. It's just, yeah. you just go right back yes. there. So what you can do in that, what you can do in that, humor is really great because you could talk about it with a friend and like a mom afterwards and be like, oh my God. And it like, it's therapeutic, right? Laughter is the best medicine. But in the but in the moment, like no one's laughing. Mm-hmm. And so what Mm-mm. can you do? It does not feel funny in the moment. Ooh, not at all. In at, when you ha- when you have some psychological distance, you can be like, oh, remember that time? Ha ha ha. And they're always doing funny shit. It's like, oh, my fu- my, my three-year-old was drawing, you know, on my five-year-old and calling him a rainbow. Like it's always funny after, but in the moment I'm like, ah! okay, so I know. what do I do? So you have to tap into your breath. And that sounds very hokey, but you're breathing. No, Your breathing is the only bodily mechanism. It's the only biological process that is under voluntary control and involuntary control. Meaning you can take, you and I can take a deep breath in and let it out. And then when we stop doing that and focusing on our breath, it's going on in its, on its own without us. Okay. And there's one method that has seemed to work for me really well. It's called stop, breathe, be. It's something that I do. Typically, when what I do is I try to do it before the cascade of stuff is about to happen. For example, right before I do pickup, you know, school pickup, I do this so that when I am at the door 
And then there's like things that are, I don't know, what all this, the cascade of emotions that happens at the end of the night, I'm able to manage. But you can do this throughout the day at work, at home. But in that moment, like for you with your three boys, you stop. It's the instructions are exactly what the method is. You stop, you breathe, take a deep breath in and out and you be. So you ground yourself. It's a three second exercise. Okay. And you do this over and over and over throughout the day. It taps into your mind-body connection. What it also does is it grounds you in the present moment. And a lot of the reasons why you and I and many moms feel that sense of anxiousness or stress or whatever it is, parenting stress, by the way, parenting burnout, you know, two, uh, two-thirds yeah. of parents right now are struggling with burnout. So this is like Whoa. very real. And yeah. so when you feel that, and most people do feel that based on the data, The reason you ground yourself is because when you're feeling anxious or stressed or burned out and you're feeling that sense of anxiety, you are in the what if thinking. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if we run out of time? Oh my God, bedtime's going to be late. Everything's going to be, and then you do the what if, and this stop, breathe, be gets you into what is right here, right now, ground yourself, and then you can get on with the day. It also creates a little bit of psychological distance, which is what you and I were talking about, right? Like, why do you laugh? Yes. You can laugh. Five minutes later. Yeah. Or the next yeah. night or when you're telling your husband at night, like, oh my God, do you want to hear what happened today? It was crazy. Yeah. And you laugh. It's because you've had a couple of, you know, a couple of hours to process and then uh-huh. everyone's sleeping and you're like, oh my God, they're so cute. And you're like, oh, and then you can't believe that just a looking few hours. Yeah. Looking at the pictures. Yeah. So creating little distance. And that actually has an impact on your mind-body connection and your amygdala and all of the things that, you know, all the scientific jargon that we talked about earlier, it actually has an effect. Is it like, like, okay, I'm taking that deep breath, not to sound really stupid, but I am really stupid about this stuff. Is it giving like extra oxygen to my brain? Is it, why is it making my amygdala calm down? Because I, when I remember to do this, to take the deep breath, to Wait, say it again. Stop, breathe, be. Stop, breathe, be. Stop, breathe, be. When I can remember to do that, which it needs to just become a part of my daily, you know, a part of my mom practice. When I can remember to do that, it really, it really actually works. So what is happening? I mean, not to, again, not to get too sciencey, but like what's happening? Why is that The work? reason it works is because you have two nervous systems in the body. One is called the sympathetic nervous system, which is what the amygdala governs. It's fight or flight. And when you're feeling anxious or stressed, you have short, deep, uh, sorry, short, shallow breathing, quick, shallow breathing. Okay. That's right. Because it's like, it's a biological mechanism. It's you're trying to get more oxygen to your lungs. Your heart beats faster. Your muscles need more oxygen because it's a fight or flight response. You're about to fight the tiger, right? Uh Now, Uh when you take a deep breath in and out, you are activating the other nervous system in your body called the parasympathetic system. And this is rest and digest. And the sympathetic and parasympathetic systems cannot work at the same time. They are mutually exclusive. So when one is on, the other is off. And when the other is on, the you know, the other is off. So what you're trying to do is shift your brain wiring to the other. To the other. <gasps> and the breath is the gateway because it's the only bodily system under voluntary and involuntary control. So it's the you can't control your heartbeat, you can't control your brain mm-hmm. waves, your digestion and all of the things that are happening in our bodies during that time of, you know, that moment when it really counts. The only thing you can you can't control your thoughts, they're just racing. The only 
thing you can control is your breath. And when you just do that deep breathing, and you can practice that all day long. So you can do stop, breathe, be. You can also just put your hands on your belly. Like as I'm talking to you right now, I'm just taking deep breaths. It's called diaphragmatic breathing or belly breathing. Mm -hmm. When we're babies, we all do belly breathing. And at some point in early adulthood, we just stop. So we start doing thoracic breathing, which is like the short, shallow breath up from up here. So if you go back to the belly breathing, it's really hard to do belly breathing all day long because I don't know. You have to focus on Yeah, you have to really focus. And that seems like a lot of work. But yeah. Stop, breathe, be is a way to just ground yourself in the moment. You can try both of those techniques a little bit every day. And then when you do that a little bit every day, you tap into that mind-body connection, which essentially is that your brain and your body are in constant communication and always speaking to each other. So what's good for your body is good for your brain. What's good for your brain is good for your body and vice versa. And when you do better, you feel better. And so that moment of stop, breathe, be, seconds, it takes three seconds, Those three seconds can help prevent, because you're creating that psychological distance, that space, that pause, it can prevent the cascade. And we all know what that cascade is. Oh. And then how long does it take to repair that? You know? Oh, my goodness. To come out of that. Okay. So thank you. Just stop, breathe, be. I mean, it's so simple. And if we can actually put it into practice, it is so effective. That's what to do in the moment, that moment when we're like about to spiral or perhaps we already are have spiraled and we're looking to bring ourselves back. Stop, breathe, be, switch our, switch our nervous system to the, to the helpful one. And you can say that <laughs> to yourself. Life. Like if you – I yeah. said that to myself a lot. I'll say – I mean I started doing stop, breathe, be. It was the first thing I learned in my stress struggle. I was seeing patients and I was seeing like 30 patients a day and it was such a stressful time. And I wasn't a mom. I wasn't married at the time. And I would knock on the door. It's it's great with like a repetitive task. I would knock on the door and right before turning the door to enter the room and hear the story and you know all of the stress, I just stop, breathe, be. So it would help me stay grounded. Then I enter the patient room and I leave. Then I enter the next room and I kept doing that. So there's so many mundane, the more mundane the event, the better in our lives like as working mothers or stay-at-home moms or stay-at-home parents or working parents, whatever your personal situation is. There are so many mundane moments throughout everyone's day that you can just do that over and over and over again before joining a Zoom. It's also great. I Yeah, before joining Zoom, I really like the idea of just you talking about opening the door, like you said, when when you when you're about to do pickup or when the kids are about to walk in the door from school. Like there's this I like doors. So like when I'm picking up the kids from school, when I close my car door to go inside and pick them up, stop, breathe, be, things are about to get my day just shifts so much. Like it goes from me working alone to like, and there's no moment of rest. So the stop, breathe, be. It's like a buffer. I do that. So I do that when I do drop off at the bus stop at the, when I, I do it right as I'm going out of the house at the, when you turn the doorknob to the garage, I do stop, breathe, be. And often that moment I'll say like, oh, wait, we forgot, you know, we forgot Valentine's Day card. So we have to go turn around and do that instead of like getting in the car, everyone go. And then you're like drive five minutes. Oh, I forgot this. Because you're you're being. Yeah. Yeah. So you just ground yourself. And then I do that. I mean, I've had to do that 
that, you know, every every working parent knows what that morning time is like and then the evening time. Mm-hmm. So if you have to do mm-hmm. that multiple times a day, it's, it's not something that you just do once. It's ideally, it's three seconds. You can yes. do that all day, every yes, day. three seconds. Do it all day, every day. Do it while you're walking the dog. Do it. Woo, love it. Another thing that you said before we get to the big five resets, um, this practice of what if versus what is, you talked about that several minutes ago, and I can't move on before we talk about that because as a recovering anxious mother, I was the typical first-time mom with my first baby. My listeners have heard me talk about this a lot because it's something I'm very passionate about is trying to help first-time moms chill the fuck out because it's a horrible, horrible feeling to feel as anxious as I did. The what ifs were what got me a lot of the times. Like I would have the, and now I know that it was my amygdala overfiring, 3 a.m., shoot up in bed. What if a car, I, we live on a hill. I mean, I'm. what if a car misses the turn and flies and lands on top of Mattis's room? What if Mattis's sheet got wrapped around his head? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if all day, night, all day long, all night long? And I love that idea of when your head is getting stuck in the what ifs, stop, breathe, be, and refocus on what is. Mattis is healthy in his crib. I am a fucking great mom. These are the things that are not the ifs. That is so key. I mean, for everyone, but again, I'm a mom, so I relate everything back to being a mom. For those moms who are struggling with the what ifs, whoo. I was also a very anxious mom and the what ifs got me. And it, you know, you feel like you're drowning. I think what's important to recognize with this what if is anxiety is a future focused emotion. It's not about the here and now. It's all about like something that's going to happen in the future, some calamity, catastrophe, you know, doom and gloom. It's happening in the future. So it's all about what if. And then when you bring yourself back and ground yourself with all the breathing things that we talked about, stop, breathe, breathe, or diaphragmatic breathing and just are like, wait a second, what is, what is right here in the Mm -hmm. here and now? And then you kind of can, the key is like you're creating a little bit of distance between those thoughts. You know, these are things that they talk about in like mindfulness and whatnot, like you are not your thoughts. Like they see all these things, but it's like, what does that mean in practical terms when you're like freaking out as a mom? What does this mean? It means yes. you, people can say that. Again, it's just like when someone says, just try to relax. You're like, okay, look, dude, I know I'm not my oh, thoughts. Oh, really? Yeah, if I could, I oh, wouldn't. Oh, really? You don't, you think, I'm enjoy, you think I'm enjoying this like horrible thing of waking up in the middle of the night? I remember the monitor and just like, oh my goodness. Um, I had to switch the monitor away from my side of the bed to my husband's. And also- Absolutely, you did. Just had to, I just want to mention there's like, a biological reason. So I read a study which showed that biologically the mother is more attuned to all of the sounds, even the tiny ones that babies make and the fathers. Again, this is like very very gender stereotypical. Come on now. I mean, I think this research was very old, but it helped me. And then my husband, I would, you know, he, he wouldn't wake up for the small sounds, but he would always wake up for the big ones. And I thought, yep. ooh, there's something juicy there. There's something to this. Yes. It's funny. I actually posted on Instagram a f- couple months ago. When the kids wake up in the night and maybe – how old are your kids I now? I have one. She's six. She's six. Okay. So when my kids wake up in the night and like 
they're either going to the bathroom. Their room is far from my room. Like I really shouldn't be able to hear these small sounds, but I like shoot up and it depends on if I'm really anxious. I am even more this way, like shoot up when I hear every little noise. I hear them. And my husband is like snoring. What? Yeah. I, or like, I, I swear to God, sometimes I'll, sometimes I feel like I hear them before they even wake up. Same. Like I'm like, they're about, what is that? And they hear us, right? Like if I'm like, yes. oh, I'm going to relax now. Suddenly they're like, mama? Mama? And you're like, oh, you I'm can here? smell me relaxing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I Now we're like talking about things. I, I don't know the science behind this, but somebody sent me a study when I posted that that was like, there's something about that our, their DNA like stays in our body after birth. Birth. Okay, now I'm it's like called really chimera. Not. It's called chimera. Yes. Yeah. Do you believe in that? I don't know. I love these kinds of research studies. I'm not a pediatrician or OBGYN, but yes. as a mom and as a scientist and doctor, right. like just thinking about all of these things is really cool. And it is. It's just fascinating. And hopefully we'll know more, you know, with emerging science and all of the cool things that it is great. The other the other study that I learned about again, I don't this is just us like chatting as moms. I know. I know. But I'm like the, no, no guys, this is not what her book's about. We're just chatting. <laughs> but one of these beautiful studies that I that I remember reading cuz you know when you're going through a difficult period, I think it's that humans are meaning-seeking purpose-driven creatures. Motherhood, Ooh, yeah. motherhood changes the brain. We know this now. <laughs> Your, your brain physically changes after motherhood. It was a study that was that came out around the time that I became a mother. And I remember reading it and thinking, oh my God, that totally happened to me. It makes perfect sense now. And because we're meaning-seeking, purpose-driven creatures, we are, we are always trying to make sense and meaning of our difficult experiences. And so when you're yes. becoming a mother, it is, for me, it was the most defining moment of my life more than becoming a doctor or a wife or any of those things, other things that I am, becoming a mother changed me deep at the cellular level. Totally. So, you know, you're just grappling with that. And it actually changed my brain. And so when I learned that, it's validating. Oh, it's so validating because you feel, yes, and you feel like a different person. And then I feel like so much of what we do as young moms is try – did I just say moms? Am I British? As young moms is try to find ourselves again and get back to who we were. Like, oh, I'm just – I want to feel like myself again. I want to feel like myself again. And it's this like never-ending quest, which leads to unhealthy stress because we aren't the same and we are never going to be the same because we're never not going to have these little people who we're worried about all the time. And our brains are – Different. Yeah. And I think that was really, you know, one of the real reasons and impetus for the five resets for me was as a working mother, prior, I, I had gone through this difficult journey through stress, right? As a mm -hmm. single woman and a medical trainee, I had a lot more time at that time. So I could devote time to multiple yoga classes a week, meditation protecting my sleep, all of the things that I learned that were very vital uh -huh. for my mental health. Uh -huh. However, once I became a mother, that axis and calculus shifted completely because even though I knew all of the things that helped me with my mental health, I truly did not have the hours in the day to 
even attempt that. So rather than beating myself up and saying kind of like the all or nothing fallacy of like, well, if I can't do it, might as well not even try. Instead, I had to find, you know, to, to find room. Like I think it's Maya Angelou who writes that when she was writing and she was a mother and writing, she said, right in the cracks of the day. So like, you know, dawn, evening, like when, and I feel like for me, I had to figure out self-love, self-care, stress management in the cracks of the day. And so the five resets, what to me speaks. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. What speaks like really. There's always, there's, there are always cracks. Like the baby just went down. Your call, next call doesn't start for four minutes. Like stop, breathe, be, take those months. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And understanding. And I think understanding just that like you don't have to, like we would all love, how much would I love to like take six months and go to Bali to a surf vacation? And we don't have that. pray love, baby. (laughs) And we don't have that. Like that's not, you know, that's not accessible to ninety nine point nine percent of us. Whether mm-hmm. we have children or not, it's just something. You know, we yeah. have too many constraints, financial constraints, responsibilities, jobs. jobs. So you have to create space in your brain and your body, and a sense of respite and recovery from stress and burnout, so that all of those pieces that we talked yes. about scientifically can yes. calm down in the middle of your messy, overscheduled yes. life. Okay, so. I asked you for the solution to when I'm in that moment, I'm so stressed and we got stop, breathe, be. The five resets, this is the, this is what the book is all about. Tell us what small little changes we can be making to our life, these five things to help us become also stress experts, experts of our own stress, get rid of the stress in our life. What are these five resets that are scientifically anecdotally, all of the ways proven. It's true. You can become your own stress expert. And actually, that's my hope is that, you know, when patients have come to see me at the end of, after I say goodbye to them, they're like, well, you fix my stress. And I'm like, I didn't fix your stress. I'm just a mirror. And I held a mirror up so you could fix your own stress. And I hope the five resets serves as a mirror for people to become their own stress expert because no one knows you better than you know you. And the five resets are five small but mighty mindset shifts along with 15 scientific strategies that are practical, actionable, and cost-free. And that was really important to me to make everything free. So free in terms of financial, you know, free zero dollars, but also really sensitive about time costs because not everyone has an hour a day to spend on managing their stress and burnout. They have to do it like in the messy middle, right? Oh my God. Like in the cracks. In the cracks. In the cracks. And so the five resets are five mindset shifts, and then there's different scientific strategies in each of those. So the first reset is to find what matters to you most, capital M-O-S-T. And you had said this earlier, Caroline, you had said this idea of like, you felt so far from where you wanted to be. And there's this, you know, many of us, all of us, in fact, I would argue, have a lot of knowledge and information to make changes. You you were talking about this in context of your phone. Like, you know, you knew what you needed to do. The challenge is there's a big gap between knowledge and information and action. And that first reset can help you close that gap. A lot of times that feels very far and aspirational, like, you know, getting to the, from your origin to destination. And the first reset just gets you out of amygdala mode, it back into the prefrontal cortex so you can plan and organize because when you're feeling stressed, you're in your own way. You're getting, you often get in your own way all the time. 
Okay, so give me an example. You're sitting down with a patient and you're like, okay, find what matters most. What are examples of things that matters most matter most to people? So most is an acronym. M is motivating. O is objective. S is small. And T is timely. Try, figure out your why. It does. It, this is not existential. Like why? What is my purpose for life? This is literally, yeah. I want to have enough energy that on Saturdays, I want to be able to throw a baseball with my kids. Patients have said all sorts of things to me. I want to have energy to go on a cruise. I want to go to reunion and not be stressed. I want yes. my knees to hurt less so I can play basketball with my grandson. You know, I don't want headaches to debilitate me. Again, if you have any of these things, you go to your doctor, you make sure you don't have an organic cause. Organic means something that's happening in your body. And then if you are like, oh, this is stress, or if your doctor says to you, this is most likely stress, then you do all of these things, right? And you do them together. Yeah. By the way, I just want to make a note of this very startling statistic that 60 to 80% of all doctor's visits have a stress-related component and only 3% of doctors offer stress management counseling. Um, you know, so it's just kind of interesting. So that's the first reset. It's like get clear yes. on what matters most, figure out your why. This is something very tangible that you can accomplish in three months, not some huge existential crisis that you're trying to solve. Like what is my purpose in life? That's another book <laughs> or conversation. This is like, how can I just get out of my own way, right? Okay. okay. The second reset is to find your quiet and noisy world focusing predominantly on sleep and how to get the th sleep that you need and deserve and creating digital boundaries. We, yes. we create, we have relationships in our lives and every relationship that we have has boundaries. We have relationships with boundaries, with our partners, our children, colleagues, friends, and yet we have no boundary when it comes to the relationship with our digital devices. And so this is about rethinking and reconsidering that relationship. This is not about becoming yeah. a digital monk. We know the science shows that when you just abstain from digital devices altogether, it doesn't contribute to better health and well-being. Really? No, it does I'm, not. I'm very glad to hear that the science shows yeah, that. Yeah, it's feel about better. it's about decreasing your reliance, not giving it up. Okay. Because our phones. So what are, are your important. what are your best? So they are. What are your best tips for decreasing? So I would say the two biggest tips are keep your phone off of your workstation, out of arm's reach, and keep it off your nightstand. You're creating some mm -hmm. geographical boundaries. And the reason is because when your amygdala is firing and you're feeling stressed, you have a primal urge to scroll. This is just how your brain is built. You are feeling hypervigilant, feeling a sense of danger. Remember, amygdala, what is it? Survival and self-preservation. Ah. So you're scanning for danger. Back evolutionarily in when we were all cave people, there was a night watchman who would keep watch on the tribe and you would, everyone would sleep. Now we are all our own night watchmen. So we're mm -hmm. scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. Things are happening in the world. We scroll. Then we feel a greater sense is of that it? Is it? Is it that we feel like, yeah, is it that we feel like we need to know because yes. the access is there? Yes. Sometimes I'm like, what are you looking for, Caroline? Like, what are you looking for? And I just can't, I'm like, I don't know. D did Taylor and Travis have a kiss? Uh, what's the latest in you know, all the wars. I'm like, whoa. Uh, I've never thought of it 
that way. Doom, I've always, oh, I'm just doom scrolling, but that is so interesting. The hyper vigilant, like amygdala. Yeah, you're really, just, whoa. You're scanning for danger. It's like you're your own night watchman. And data shows that when you see things millions of miles away, catastrophes, whether it be humanitarian disasters or climate crises, or, you know, the, the crises just never stop in our world, right? They never stop. Your brain recognizes this as stress. And you, whether, in spite of you never. Uh, being firsthand right. involved, you have a increase in your risk of PTSD just from your com- the comfort of your couch and scrolling oh, and consuming these images and you know. Whoa! So this is real. This is not you know just like oh try not to do it. It actually can impact your mental health. So creating a little bit of quiet in the noisy world and. And sleep is, of course, directly tied to that. Over 50% of people, first thing in the morning, before your second eye is open, you're scrolling. And think about what that does to your brain and your cortisol, which is your stress hormone and all of that. Instead, like, you, like you're like you doing, right? Day seven. I also started doing this, I don't know, many years ago. And then I fall off the wagon and get back on. Again, that's part yeah. of habit formation. Don't knock yourself. Yes. Don't don't knock yourself out. Like, understand that. The all or nothing mentality. It like, takes, it's okay if you. It takes eight weeks to build a habit. And part of that yeah. habit formation is falling off and getting back on. That's how your brain's okay. like rewiring. So give yourself lots of grace and self-compassion. Um, the third reset is to sync your brain and your body. We talked a little bit about what that means, the mind-body connection, and really understanding that the mind-body connection is happening in the background at all times. It's like gravity. And when you suddenly start paying attention to it, you can influence it and tap into it. So the stop, breathe, be is a perfect description of yes. what happens and how to tap into your mind-body connection. Um, the next reset, I think we're at the fourth reset, it's to come up for air. I talk a lot about the need for breathing. And again, we touched on this in our convo, right? Like your breath is the only physiological mechanism that's under voluntary and involuntary control, talking about the two kinds of nervous systems and why that's so important to manage stress and burnout. It's, again, not nice to have. It actually can rewire your brain and change the biology of your stress. And the final reset, it's about bringing your best self forward, a culmination of all of these practices, how to silence your inner critic when you are feeling stress. I mean, you and I both know this all too well, and so does every single listener. When you are feeling stressed, your inner critic has a megaphone and you're like, you're not good enough. You're not going to finish this. Why are you even trying? Why bother? I mean, the oh. hateful messages, you would never speak to someone like this and you speak to yourself like yes. this. It's Again, it's not your fault. It's not you. It's your biology. It's about taking yeah. – how do you take that megaphone out of the inner critic's hand is by understanding that like it, it that's your amygdala. It's trying to keep you safe because if you try something new and different and it's about like, you know – but get back into your safety zone, get back into your comfort zone. That's what it's trying to do. Ironically, it's a protective mechanism. I know these are in the book, but give me a spoiler alert. What's what's one of those scientific – so each of these resets that she just said, those are the resets. And then she actually tells you how to do it. For instance, the phone thing. For that number five, call, quieting your inner critic, bringing your best self forward, basically being your own biggest fan – what are your scientific tips on how to do that one? I think there's three in that chapter. And I would say like the two biggest ones is first to think about a gratitude practice. And that's not like a teenage journal. You take okay. a pen and a paper because your brain uses a different neural circuitry to write. 
versus type. Okay. You remember more when you're writing, like when you go to the grocery store and you make a post-it of all the 100%. things you write, you lose the post-it, you still remember what you need at the grocery store. Versus typing, you don't really remember, right? Like you don't remember as much when you type. So keep a little keep a little notebook next to your bed. Write down five things you're grateful for and why. It's a 60-second exercise. You do it every single day. You know where your phone is on your nightstand? Swap out your phone. Yeah. Put your... Leave, take your phone off your nightstand, put a gratitude journal there instead. It doesn't have to be hokey. It can be literally loose leaf paper from your kid's binders and a pen and just write down and date it and, you know, five things. Some days you'll have 10, you only write five. Some days you have two, you still have to write down five. Do it and measure yourself at 30, 60, and 90 days. You'll see measurable differences in your stress, burnout, mood, attention, memory. I mean, it's endless what that can do. The other thing that you can do about silencing your inner critic is to create something called therapeutic writing. This is an exercise where for four days straight, four consecutive days, you write down freehand, again, writing, writing, 20 to 25 minutes freehand of a traumatic event that happened to you. And what you'll notice is on day two or three, you'll have an uptick of emotions in the day four And what happens is it's almost like you work it out and you're just writing about the event. And this therapeutic writing, it's it's called expressive writing, has been shown, Caroline, to have these like profound health benefits from like increasing students' GPAs, keeping you out of the hospital with readmissions and ER visits. And like, these are just wild things. And it's been replicated over and over and over again. So those are some ways to silence your inner critic. It sounds very hokey because you're like, are you kidding me? Try it. Try it for yourself. Be your own experiment and you'll see. No, I I have to say when I hear about people journaling, I'm like, oh, that's cute. That's not for me. But those are two very easy, especially the gratitude practice. When I hear even the word, like when I hear people say gratitude practice, I'm like, okay, okay. Uh, okay." But like writing down five things I'm grateful for, like what a lovely way to end your day. Yeah. And I don't have my phone. I can't be dro- – I'm not doom scrolling because my phone's in a freaking closet because you made me. So I may as well do that. Yeah. And it does – and it all does – you know, and it like does this thing called cognitive reframing because what's happening to you, again, driven by the amygdala, the same amount of good and bad is happening to you all day long. But when you are yeah. in stress mode, you are hyper-focused on the bad. Why? Because you're trying to protect yourself. So you're like yes. scanning for danger hypervigilant. And so you hold on to the bad. Instead, this makes you focus. It's called cognitive reframing. It makes you focus on the good because you have to as part of this exercise and you go through the day and then over time, that stickiness of the negative stuff starts decreasing and you start, oh yeah, good and bad is happening throughout the day. It's all very scientific and it sounds really like hokey or cringy. You're like, oh my God, gratitude journal. But it works. I have kept a gratitude yeah, journal. It works. In fact, I think the gratitude journal was one of the most important tools that I used in my fourth trimester. Okay. I used a gratitude journal because when you're feeling that sense of angst and your hormones and, you know, we all know what the fourth trimester is about, um, that was a very concrete thing that I could do every single night. Yeah. And it just made me... It took ages. I did lots of things in my fourth trimester because as a way to find myself back to myself or whatever that that mantra is. Um, yeah. It was the new normal. Back to ourselves. You know, it was a new normal for me. And ever since, I've continued to grapple with, you know, how do you – how are you able to be a good mom? Because the, society te- tells us that, again, this is a manifestation of hustle culture. It's like work like you don't have kids and parent like you don't have a job. 
right? I mean, that's what we hear, messaging all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I think that many of us working moms are actively working to debunk a lot of those myths. It doesn't feel like it when you're doing it. You're like, I don't really know what I'm doing. But I'm just right. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just, I'm just trying to like live my damn yeah, life. Just gonna <laughs> just do this thing. I don't know. Will it work? Will it not? But you just keep going. Yep. Yeah. Uh, wow. I'm very excited. I'm putting a gratitude notebook in the spot of my cell phone tonight. Um, okay. I normally kick off my podcasts by talking about with my guests about what we're so into. What I was so into getting into this with you. I I started this by saying my husband and I have been following you for several months on Instagram and we he was like I just want you to get her to tell you like exactly what we need to change to make us feel better and of course it's that's why you wrote a whole book about it there are these five resets and then all these scientific methods within them but I do feel like I am leaving this episode with three things that are really tangible and that is getting your phone the F away from you. I haven't been doing it during the work day. And so I need to, like I've, I've turned off all notifications on my phone. I saw that. I saw your story. You know, I'm like a fan of you. So I follow you on social and your sub stack. Like I'm just, I'm very into the whole. Thank you. Everything that that you're doing. There was this amazing article about you. Where was that? Which one? I don't there know. was like this Subs- maybe on Substack. Yes. And it was like free for a week. And then they made it. Yes, 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 yes. It was. It was Diane Jacobs wrote an article about your amazing just basically my, my Substack. Media, yeah, your meteoric cool. rise. I am starting a Substack. You have inspired me for months. So for months, I have been asked to dive yes. deeper, do a weekly newsletter. You know, even my book, like for 10 years prior to writing the book, people would ask me, my patients, or when I would give talks, like, yeah. we'd love, you know, you need to write a book. And I was just yeah. in it, man. I was like, I'd just gotten married. I had a baby. I was try- running a medical center. I was like, I don't, I can't write a book. It's like not, you know, then finally it got to the point where it was like, Okay, I need to do this. I need to do this. You owe this to all of us. Yeah, and it's like, it's time, you know? Um, And so (laughs) now I am launching a Substack and it's called It's Not You, It's Your Stress. There's an alternate title, It's Not You, It's Your Biology. I'm not sure, but it's It's Not You. Substack.com. It's something else. Like it's not you at Substack.com or whatever. Whatever you're, you know how. Yours is what to cook, what to cook slash substack.com. Mine is like, it's not you slash substack. Anyway, so I'll be so good weekly. It's not you. It's your biology. It's not you. It's your stress. You know, it's not you. It's your biology could open you up to having like other experts who all, it'll all tie back. I don't know. They're both really yeah, good. Yeah. And I feel like I just, so the people have spoken kind of, and I need to do something on a weekly basis where I am sharing you know, a lot of the, it's interesting because a lot of people have said to me, I'm really stressed and I want to read your book and how can I read, but I'm, but I'm too stressed, but I'm too stressed to read it. Yes. So then we have the audiobook. So people are really yes. into that. There's many ways to read and get the information. So they're using the audiobook. And so what I want to do with this Substack, which I will be launching tomorrow is, <gasps> yes, it's live. Oh my God. Okay, great. So it'll be tagged in the show notes, listeners. Yes. Great. Thank you. So I it's live. So I will be giving nuggets every week of the five resets to bring into your life. It's about, you know, making the science practical and applicable 
to you in your everyday life so that you mm-hmm. can bring all of these things into the messy, overscheduled lives that we lead. Yes. Yes. Because I do think it's it, it can be easy in a world of so much information to hear, you know, the five resets and then go, well, she didn't tell me what to do and just kind of like go to the next thing. Well, I, she didn't actually tell me what to do. So like actually just telling us, okay, here's exactly what this to do. Week. Like we just said. Yep. This week. This is put what your, you're going to do. Put, put your phone away. Gratitude practice, traumatic experience practice, which I feel like I need to read to fully know how to properly do that. Give us one more tip. What's one more like just do this thing and the stress, you will become the expert of your own stress. This one is something that is highly controversial, not in terms of science, but in terms of like people's reaction. 10 o'clock bedtime. People are like, what? 10 o'clock? That's like the middle of my day. Now, hear me out. You have to embrace your inner grandma or grandpa. I mean, I say inner grandma or grandpa, but truly my parents who are grandparents are living their best life and not going to bed at 10. So maybe I should, maybe I need a new slogan for that. Maybe we're being ageist. Yeah. You know, because they're living their best life. But 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock as your bedtime. It has been shown over and over again with the science that sleep is a therapeutic intervention. It helps every cell, muscle, tissue, organ in the body, including your brain. Mm -hmm. Sleep helps you Mm -hmm. process difficult emotions. Mm -hmm. Your immune system is the most active at night while you're sleeping. I mean, the Mm -hmm. list of why sleep is important is endless. And yet so few of us actually go to bed at a reasonable hour. And I asked one of my sleep physician colleagues, you know, what's going on? And he said, most people, every patient that I've ever had, goes to sleep two hours after their quote unquote ideal bedtime. So if you are plan if you want to go to bed at nine or ten and you go to bed at eleven or midnight, you're in the norm. That's what most people are doing. And he said the main reason is screens, right? And so doing a lot of these things can help you with screens because that blue light, it keeps you awake at night. Plus, we all have this thing called revenge bedtime procrastination, especially if you're a working parent. It's like that 8 p.m. bedtime for kids or whenever your children go to sleep, yeah, yeah, you have those two to three precious hours that are just yours yes. and yours alone. Yes. And it's because your day- Oh, that's so good. Revenge bedtime procrastination. That is, that sums it up. That's I'm it. like, this is my time. It's your time. It's like what you did as a teenager, right? You're like, I'm going to just yeah. like, I'm going to- and getting revenge. It's the same thing that we do at night. And so instead of, and why do we do that? Because our days are so overscheduled and we're feeling so much stress that at the end of the day, when your kids go to sleep is finally me time. Instead, Mm -hmm. if you pepper in throughout the day, a couple of these strategies and resets that when the day is over for your kids and you have that long stretch of time, you won't feel that like urge to just decompress and scroll. And, you know, so then you will go to sleep. It's hard to go to sleep at night early when you feel like you haven't gotten the full day that you needed. And to like have a moment to yourself. And so then we, this revenge bedtime is actually we do things that actually make us feel so we're, we're like oh i need time to decompress and so then we scroll on our phones which actually makes us binge which actually makes us feel so much worse yeah and then you and then you wake up and your you know your tank isn't full and then you're running on fumes yeah. and then you are quick to anger and you're irritable and then like the whole cycle continues by the way like i'm all for binge watching i mean em- emily in paris totally i'm like yeah oh. obsessed i love fashion it's like so feel good yes. french cuisine so all of it Oh, forget it. But I'm like, I, I like can't wait for my husband to go out of town on a work trip, 
to to binge watch certain like Bridgerton, totally. Emily in Paris. Uh, but, the best. but you know, like you can do that and give yourself grace and compassion yes. and say, okay, for the next two weeks, I'm really not going to sleep because I want to watch this yeah. and it's fun and it's great. But then you want to get back to the quote unquote default. And right now, most of our yep. default is like 11 or 12 at night. We don't, and we're already running on fumes based on all the science and data, right? And so sleep, sleep is a therapeutic intervention. It's not just like, I'll get, I'll sleep when I can. It's about really yeah. doubling down and protecting your sleep, like the vital resource it is. Yeah. Well, yep. Okay. Thank you. Those are four very actionable things. Okay. Normally I start my podcast by, we get into what we're so into right now. It's the name of the podcast. So into that. We're going to close today's podcast by talking about the things that we are so into. So thank you, first of all, for sharing these actual actionable things to make us feel better. But let's end it on, what are you so into right now? Oh my God, Caroline, I am so into this posture correcting strap. And I kept seeing it because I saw the Instagram ads, like Taylor Swift wears this for rehearsal or something. Yes, yes. I didn't yes. get the bra yeah. version, but I got the strap, the strap on version. It's essentially a strap that looks like a backpack without the pack. Okay. Okay. So from Guillaume. Again, so it's ad. around my arm. Not an ad. Not an ad. Not an ad. Not and an it ad. Just, <gasps> and I love it. Are you wearing it right I now? I am not wearing it now, but I will be wearing it for the rest of the evening. I'm trying to build up a tolerance to wear it all day. You can only do like 15 minutes. So I'm now up to like two hours. Okay. Tell me about having to build up a tolerance. Is it because it's so uncomfortable or because your back is like, whoa, what are you doing? I mean, doing? it just says on the box to like wear it a little bit and <laughs> as much as followed instructions. You're like, I'm... I'm a doctor. I just followed the instructions. It's like I'm just a consumer here. But I did. What's crazy is that like it really does work. I always thought I had good posture. But then I wore this and I was like, whoa, hang on. Maybe I don't have good posture. It's just fantastic. I've, I sat like this this entire podcast. What the hell is wrong with me? It just helps you with breathing. You know, if you want to take in those deep breaths and not be anxious, like you need to make sure that your lungs are expanding well and it's good for your spine yes. and your health. And anyway, very into this. Oh my gosh. I'm so, I'm so glad to have a firsthand reference because I also have gotten the Taylor Swift posture correcting. Blah, 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 and I'm like, is this something I need? Yes, it is. It's just great. And maybe they tag, like, you know, they find the people who are scrolling and they're like, ooh, text neck. <laughs> she needs it. She's, she's been <laughs> hunched over her phone for three hours. <laughs> so I, she's going to need this. I, so I got that. Okay. And so I bought it. Not that particular bra thing, but I bought like, I don't know, the, the strap thing. It works great. Great. Okay, I'm getting very into it. Getting the strip on. Very into okay, it. Okay, my thing, my thing that I'm so into. My guest uh, two weeks ago was Cameron Rogers, who's a friend, uh, sort of motherhoody influencer, and she said this thing during our interview that stuck with me and is a change I've implemented. Number one, she's actually the person who told me to turn off notifications on my phone, so I've done that. But the most important one, she said. We both are like stay at home, work from home moms. So we have full time jobs. Like we've, we're entrepreneurs. We've made this our full time gig, but we work from home. We both have babies at home and we both um, don't treat our, 
basically we don't treat our childcare as if we have full-time jobs. So one of her friends said to her, if you still work, she used to work in the corporate world. Her friend was like, if you still work, still worked at JP Morgan, would you have a full-time nanny? And she was like, yeah. She was like, would you feel guilty about it? She was like, nope. She was like, then why do you feel guilty? And why are you like piecing together childcare as a stay at, as a, as a work from home? Like you're making the same salary you know, you've got the same benefits worked out. Like, what are you doing? And so I came home and I was also with my best friend that week. I was visiting my best friend in New York and sort of explaining my childcare to her, you know, cash naps from, you know, 12 to three. And so I have a sitter come in the morning and then it after, like, I like had this bamboozled together system of childcare. And Lily was like, Lily and Cameron both sort of encouraged me, like, you just need you need to not be changing your childcare every other day. Just get a full-time sitter. And so for the past two weeks, I've had our sitter who used to just come kind of whenever I would. She has been arriving at 8 a.m., leaving at 3.30 or 4 p.m. I'm trying to still have a kind of an hour with the baby in the afternoon. But I am like a new person. I was so stressed and anxious two weeks ago before doing this because I was trying to fit in four hours of I was trying to fit in 10 hours of work into this four hour period where I was getting, what was I doing? Totally. And so just my, I am so into getting the proper childcare that we need and not feeling guilty. About Ooh, it. That's my, that's thing. a good one. I have totally been, that's my, thing. I have been guilty of that too. Yeah. When you work for yourself or even stay at home moms, I have so many stay at home mom friends who need like, that's a full-time job, guys. You also have to have a break and they have no help. And I'm like, we all deserve help. Help is not a bad thing. No, that's really great. That is giving me some food for thought. Mm. It is, yeah. Well, that that'll that should be a an ep, uh what's what are they called? Substacks? A post on your substack is about like the stress that we can feel for outsourcing parts of motherhood. And like how that is just not fair to anyone, especially ourselves, not our children, not ourselves, not the work we're trying to produce. Not like, our spouses, like no one. Not no our one benefits. Oh. No one benefits. Oh, my uh, my husband who also works full time, I was like, okay, I need you to be home by 3.30. And he's like, what? Get her. Like, he's like, I don't know. We have a babysitter, don't we? I'm like, no, but she leaves at three. He's like, why? I was like, I don't know. Oh, I've had those same conversations. <laughs> oh yeah. So many oh, times. Yeah. Like So that's so that's my thing that I'm ooh, into. I I have That's a good one. But honestly, my other thing truly is since reading starting to read the five resets is taking my phone out of my room. That's my other one. It's huge. It's huge. Like my mornings, I didn't totally get into it because I wanted you to talk about the actual reasons for it, but my mornings are I don't I don't get it until I've gotten the kids dressed for school. Why was I opening my phone at 6:45 in the morning and thinking I needed to check and respond to my emails? I know. What? It's also the default. So if you are doing yes. that, it's not your fault. It's, you know, it's big tech and it's just our brains and how our how brains. we're wired and then so when you hustle culture, yeah, you have to make it a little it inconvenient. You have to make it a little inconvenient. Then you can override the primal urge to scroll, scroll and you can parent yourself because we parent we parent our children with screen time and bedtime and eating vegetables and all of these things that we do, and yet we don't parent yes. ourselves. Oh, that's good. 
We don't parent ourselves. Yeah, that this was this honestly. It, the first few days, it felt like I was disciplining myself. Like I'd be like, <laughs> put it back in the closet. Put it like I would get out of bed and like sneak the closet door open and like bring it back to my bed. And I was like, oh, you naughty girl. <laughs> so it's it's a total. It is. It's the, in the title of your book. It's a rewire, and I am very excited to implement more of these things. Thank you for being here. I feel like we all have like actionable things we can go out and do. You are so freaking lovely. I just loved having you. Thank you so much for being here and good luck with the rest of your book tour and everything. Oh, you are amazing. Even better in real life than your Substack and socials. It was like such a pleasure. I feel like I'm talking to a friend. You are, I feel like you're everyone's friend. 